something wacky terrorizing Crescent Cove. A crashed comet turns out to be a UFO shaped like a circus tent, and a race of bizarre space clowns are here to wreak havoc. From the minds of the Chiodo brothers comes one of the goofiest horror cult classics of all time and the perfect film to start out a new year, 1988's Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy New Year and welcome to the Filmgasm podcast. We hope 2022 is more generous to you and yours than 2021 was. And hopefully you're as excited as we are to dig into a whole new year of movies. Today's pick was chosen randomly from the book of Filmgasm, our endless list of potential episodes. And what a film it is. It's like the, it's like the book is taunting me. <laughs> no, no. The book is wrapping something wonderful in cotton candy and fucking gross batter and deep frying it and forcing it down your throat. And you are going to love it. You're going to love it. Just make sure you put some powdered sugar on there just to make it go down a little bit better. <laughs> God, I felt like uh, I was relating more to Mooney than anybody else. I was like, this horse shit. Like, I got, I, I get it. <laughs> you were, you were the grumpy prick in this. Yeah. Yep. Oftentimes I've noticed there's a couple episodes where I'm straight up just the grumpy prick. And it's I'm okay right. with that. We, we all, we all pull that card every now and again. Yeah. I'll own that shit. Um, so before we get into Killer Clowns, we do have one update on the rewind. This one updates our past episode on Poltergeist, uh, part of the ongoing debate. Who directed this son of a bitch? Who was it? Was it Spielberg? Was it Hooper? Was it some anonymous third party? Who knows? Well, we have more evidence to talk about. So, yeah, like it's it's never going to die. This year is the 40th anniversary of Poltergeist. And I think out of all the films that Toby Hooper has made, this is the one that has ha, that get, that overshadows the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in terms of like the controversy and the the fact that people just can't stop can't stop talking about it. They they everybody wants to to point their finger and pick a side and do all of that. And for me, it's for me, it's a pretty easy argument to have. Um, I've I've stated it before. I think when we were doing the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two episode. And kind of taking it from people who knew both men involved and, you know, Mick, Mick Garris's experience on set working as a publicist, knowing Steven Spielberg because he worked with him, knowing Toby Hooper at the time and, and him firmly saying that it is absolutely Toby Hooper's movie. I mean, and and he even he even caveated that by saying you you can't under you can't understate Steven Spielberg's involvement because it's a script that he wrote he was a producer and he is absolutely one of those people in in filmmaking in any capacity who is going to have an impact regardless you can't he does not work on a movie and you don't know that he's there so it's always going to add fuel to the fire. And when news outlets start taking hearsay and other people's opinions on things and running with it, controversy gets created. So I'm stumbling around on Twitter as I usually do. That's my 
recess of social media that I participate in more, more than anything else. And I saw again, somebody throwing it out. And the person who had, um, person who had quoted this guy's tweet said, the producer's first name is in quotes, Steven. The director's first name in quotes again is Toby. And then it just started this whole chain of comments afterwards. One person being like, well, I actually heard on this podcast that it was this guy because the cinematographer said it was Steven Spielberg, blah, blah, blah. And someone else chimed in, quoting a friend of theirs who had written a book. And there is uh, an excerpt that he screenshotted where it shows a letter that Toby uh, Hooper had received from Steven Spielberg. And that was uh, subsequently uh, published in The Hollywood Reporter. And that's what I'm going to read right now. Steven Spielberg's words. Regrettably, some of the press has misunderstood the rather unique creative relationship which you and I shared throughout the making of Poltergeist. I enjoyed your openness in allowing me, as a writer and a producer, a wide berth for creative involvement. Just as I knew, know you were happy with the freedom you had to direct Poltergeist so wonderfully. Through the screenplay, you accepted a vision of this very intense movie from the start. And as the director, you delivered the goods. You performed responsibly and professionally throughout, and I wish you great success on your next project. That, to me, should, like, mic drop end the, end the story, period. If the man himself now, and, and somebody was even going back and quoting this and being like, well, you could just, you could just take that as lip service as Steve. Everything I've heard about Steven Spielberg is he is anything but disingenuous. He's not the kind of person that is, that is a smug prick and thinks that his shit doesn't stink and that he's above anything. Everything I've ever heard about him and the people that's worked with him in any, at any level of filmmaking is that he is an amazing person to work with. He is very much into the collaborative aspects of filmmaking and getting a project up off the ground and seeing it through to the end and will absolutely take any and all ideas from anybody. Might not use them, but he is at least open to listening to things. And that, and that much was also echoed by Mick Garris. This to me though, like slam dunk, game over. Anybody else has anything to say about it. They're just, they're fucking delusional as far as I'm concerned. Might be harsh to say that, but yeah, no, nah, it's pretty fucking bad. Yeah, it's hard to argue from from the mouth of the big man himself there. That's uh yeah, I I definitely came around when we did Texas Chainsaw 2. There was something about the four of us together. I don't something made me see the light. And yeah, Toby directed that movie. But to have that definitive evidence there is good. I don't, I mean, it's not like Spielberg needs to hold on to that. He's got no shortage of incredible films to brag about. He doesn't need poltergeist. So yeah, I, I'll, I will take that as absolute proof. As far as it's concerned on the filmgasm side, the debate is over. Toby Hooper directed poltergeist. Sweet. You heard it. Nerds take it to the bank or cry to your mom about it. Whatever makes you feel good. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was that was good. It feels good to start this year by burying that shit. I am I am all about burying burying that bullshit because they're just Toby Hooper is one of the best like best voices that we've had coming from the absolute bottom 
like a film school graduate out of nowhere, Texas, Austin, Texas. I won't say nowhere, Texas, but Austin, Texas. Sorry, every uh, Texan that listens to this. Caleb, well, fuck, now apologize. there's a whole new problem we got to deal with. You're not from Texas anyway. You can't get offended. It's all right. You're fine. Oh, shit. <laughs> hey, look, I have I actually have roots from Texas. Not me personally, but my grandfather came from Texas. So, hey, if anything, I'm stepping on some relatives toes I don't even know about. Whatever. Um, but yeah, like he's he is absolutely one of the one of the most brilliant and unique minds. Like think about the pivot he makes. He makes poltergeist, then he goes on to make um life force. Like this guy is is such a unique filmmaker. And to try and like just take something away from him because people are have a bigger heart on for Steven Spielberg, I it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, and I'm not even trying to downplay any level of Steven Spielberg's involvement. I've been, I've had this same position from the beginning. He's, he's always going to have and be a presence in this, no matter what. I mean, there was even a huge argument over um, Spielberg's name being bigger on the credits than Hooper's to which Hooper ended up getting like 15 grand or something after it was arbitrated or something after the movie was released. Yeah. So like, no, I'm not. I don't know. I'm always going to be Team Toby on this one. Filmgasm has an official stance now. And if you want to come at me online, just, let's go. Let's just have some fun. But I'm not going to argue about it because it's not because the conversation's over as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, you know, not something I was really losing sleep over, but I get it. Uh, I got to listen back to our Poltergeist episode because I think we went fucking hard on the Spielberg camp. I think we. We hurt. We, we touched a nerve, <laughs> clearly. So I think maybe that's one we. we I was one of those nerves you touched. I know you and Caleb <laughs> were both pretty, pretty, uh, pretty peeved by that one. I get it. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. And now you know, with fresh eyes, maybe that's one we do again, just for the just for the, the hell of it. Uh, yeah, I'll think about that one. Um, but yeah, you know, regardless of whatever camp you're in on this we can all agree Poltergeist is a fucking masterpiece of a movie and a, a great film. So at the very least, we can all agree on that. And that's really all that matters. I mean, just, just give the people the credit that they're due. That's yeah. it. If you want to shit on anyone, you know, shit on the remake. Yes, by all means. And that terrible ass clown in that fucking movie. Oh, God, the hands coming through on a fucking flat screen. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I, I checked work. out Doesn't when work. that happened. Yeah, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that shit. Like, no. TV stopped being scary after The Ring, as far as that goes. And even before that, it was Poltergeist and fucking Videodrome. Those were the two that really fucked me up on TVs. I grew up with those giant-ass tube TVs. I'm sure you had some at one point, too. And those motherfuckers, no, no, no. Yeah, I remember the big fat back TVs. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm turning 27 in a couple weeks. So like, I do remember VHS and all that shit. It's funny, I got cousins who like don't even know what that means. And it just makes me feel like a fucking old man. No, they're uncultured heathens. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not gonna argue with that. Um, Okay, so let's get into this thing. Uh, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Killer Clowns from Outer Space? So Killer Clowns 
was conceived of by three brothers, Stephen, Charles, and Edward Kyoto. They uh, filled various roles in this movie. Uh, Edward was a producer for the most part. Charles, uh, along with Stephen, were the writers. They came up with the screenplay. And uh, Charles also was a producer. And uh, Stephen was also a producer because if you see the opening credits, all three of them were listed as producers. And Stephen was the one who was listed um, and took directing duties. However, they kind of all worked in tandem to make things work. Charles also wore the suit for Jojo, a.k.a. Clownzilla. And Ah. there's a nice little behind the scenes bit where Stephen is directing Charles on how to act, how he should be acting in that giant monster clown suit. So from any and all facets, these guys were all up in it and they got their start. Um, They were really influenced from uh, Ray Harryhausen effects, like the stop motion animation of his stuff in Voyage of Sinbad um, and uh, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, Clash of Titans, that stuff. All of that shit like really made an impression on them. And they did a lot of that stuff in their backyard. They started making a lot of their own movies that way. And that started pushing them more into the realms of special effects and a lot of the other creative side of things. Um, They are puppeteers. They are makeup artists. They do anything and everything. And they knew all of the, all of the film tricks that are employed in this movie. Cause I don't think there's any even early CGI in this movie. It's all practical stuff that's done. It's all stop motion animation. It's all, you know, matte paintings, um, puppeteering, animatronics, anything and everything these guys had a hand in. And I think for me, that's what really makes this movie special is the fact that it's a, it's a movie made by brothers and that they were instrumental in creating everything you see on screen. It's fucking amazing. Um, they also went on later on to uh, make the Critters. They did, the, well, actually, I think Critters came before this. And Critters 2, they were responsible for the giant critter ball. It's all them um, to bring back around. Isn't it nice how we do these kinds of things? And we've got all these little callbacks. Nick Garris, who I mentioned earlier, directed Critters 2. He worked with the Kyoto Brothers. And there's a really great interview that they give. I, I don't know if it's all of them. I think it just might be Stephen and Edward. Uh, they did an interview with uh, Adam Green and Joe Lynch on the movie Crypt. And they talk about everything. Just like what kind of things influenced them and how they came to do this kind of movie and like what it means to them. And I, I just love it. I mean, this was, this is a movie I had seen with my mom when I was a kid and it, it absolutely along with it, like cemented my fear of clowns for a long, long, long time. So much so that here I am now. I love this shit spirit Halloween last year put out a whole bunch of stuff. I wish I had enough money. I would have bought uh, an animatronic fucking clown to put in my apartment. I I wish I would have totally done it. Scared the hell out of anybody who came in here, but it had been for my enjoyment. But that to me, 30 plus years later shows how revered this movie is by horror fans. um, And just 
the, the lasting legacy cavity colors came out with a huge line. It's been one of the more, their more successful um, licenses that they've had is killer clown stuff. It just, for, for this movie to have endured this long, it, it means something. I can't be the only asshole that likes it. So, Yeah. I, I, I get it. The, everything I was looking about, uh, looking up about this movie just screams cult classic fan reverence. And I definitely am the odd man out, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, maybe there's, maybe the third, maybe the third watch will do it. Uh, maybe that's the, that's the theory. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just found this to be, it's hard to explain. It's weird, but that's expected. I like certain moments of it. I think the story is almost non-existent, but again, I expected that. I, I honestly cannot tell you why I don't like this. It's, it's very weird. Well, uh, but I've, I've got in my notes, I got some moments that I do like that I do want to bring up. So it's not full hatred. <laughs> so for me, I think this movie, absolutely, yeah. Like the, the actual plot of the movie it is almost non-existent. However, at the same time, from the title, what more do you expect? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, like this movie, this movie literally was conceived as a as a brainstorming session between Stephen, Ed, and Charles, where they're all going like, "Hey, what's the creepiest thing you could think of pulling up next to you while you're driving at night?" <laughs> and they're all like fucking clown coming right up next to you like just staring at you i mean yeah duh and that is what was the genesis for this so which almost didn't even make it into the end of the into the final uh cut of the movie the uh this will this will amaze you too and this just again speaks to the differences between filmmaking then and filmmaking now they had 36 days to shoot this movie wow that so (laughs) yeah you can make three movies in that time now according to how fucking money is doled out and shooting days are given and shit like that and you have to factor in the that there's a lot of you know stop motion a lot of special effect shots that are used for this movie a lot of those are time consuming so a lot of those, it's, it's an effects heavy movie. So to me, that makes sense. But it's also like, holy fuck, 36 days, 36. All right. So when they, when they started, because the, uh, the car chase that shows up, I think it's like 20 minutes in the movie or something like that. That was supposed to be the opening of the movie. And because the, the footage didn't work and the producers didn't want to open the movie that way they were like no just get rid of it uh steven ended up working out a way to speed up some other shots and get another day and then they shot it again at another location which it was a mixture they ended up cobbling together this footage because on the second shoot the uh the road they were using was too bumpy so the camera works all jumpy and shit so they ended up having to like piece all this stuff together and i think it was charles was talking about it he had to put it all together just to make it work and he took all of the best shots and put them together which unless you're really looking at them you're not going to notice anyway and that's the genius of making movies and all that 
but they they wanted that scene in there so bad because it was how their movie came to them that they ended up getting it in there somehow and for me that's also gives me a little more uh giving me a little more appreciation for this the fact that from this little nugget this whole weird ass movie comes to life and i think i'd pointed out in my review that any and all clown gags you can think of they found a way to use them and use them in ways to kill people and it is it's fun. that is to me that's the biggest selling point of this movie is just it's clowns they're aliens and they're coming to kill us all how are they going to do it yeah i'm i'm in i got nothing to, to argue with at all it's you can definitely tell this was a labor of love you can tell that people wanted to make this uh and they do go all out i i don't like that it's pg-13 i this concept should be as far R as you can go. And I think that's a big thing that holds it back for me is if I'm going to see clowns go crazy on this town, I want to see the craziest shit I've ever seen in movies. And I, th- I feel like we didn't get that. We got as close they could get to the line, but we didn't, we didn't get that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so to keep the circle of life going, I ended up watching this with my daughter, who I think was three years old at the time, three, maybe four. And as she's sitting there watching it with me, she is kind of a little scared. She's not really sure. She's like the clowns look kind of scary. And she looks at me, she's like, dad, these clowns are scary. I was like, no, they're funny. Don't worry about it. They're, they're just silly clowns. Like, look at this one. He's flying in the air and he's pretending like he's driving a car. And she looks at me and she goes, daddy, and these clowns are silly. And it made me feel good. I'm like, oh, my daughter's watching a goofy horror movie with me. I love it. And <laughs> the scene where they're in the um, the big top spaceship and um, they're seeing all the cotton candy cocoons and one of them comes in and it's that one is named Fatso. I have a whole list of their names in case you were wondering who's who. That's Fatso. Um he, uh, he walks up and he takes out his crazy straw and he sticks it in there and he starts slurping on the person in the cocoon. And my daughter looks at me, she goes, Daddy, is that blood? I was like, no, baby, that's cotton candy juice. Like real quick. It's like, no, baby, that's cotton candy juice. She's like, oh, he's just drinking juice. That's so silly, Daddy. And I was like, don't have to have that conversation right now. She's going to be really pissed later. And she's like, Dad, you told me that was juice. I mean, I didn't really lie. I just said it was, I didn't say it was human juice, but yes, this movie absolutely for me could have been a lot more heavier on the gore side of things. And one reason or another, I, I think they were trying to play it as safe as they could, like you said, and get the most out of it. Cause this movie ended up flopping anyway, mm. but I think it would, I, I don't know. And I think if somebody were to try and, go back to the circus, haha, pun intended, um, and, and make this movie again, then yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of off, off topic, but have you ever seen a movie uh, called Clown? Yes, I have seen Clown. That, that I like Clown. That is a <laughs> fucked up movie. And what sold me was the trailer when I saw it. 
and it's him stalking that kid in the fucking play place or whatever and the blood shoots down the slide i was like fucking hell i gotta see this movie (laughs) yes i think if because like moments in this movie and again it's always the moments you know like these little set pieces and shit like one of my favorite things is when they're towards the end where they're at the amusement park and they all come out of the clown car which again, psychic clowns. It's great. You see like six of them come out of this little itty bitty car and the fucking security guard standing there looking at him. What are you going to do with those pies boys? And he just fucking just gets hammered with them. And then you're like, what? what? Caleb was like, well, what's that all about? And you go, then the camera pans down. He's a puddle of goo. And then Caleb's like, what is this? And shorty, that's the, that's the little guy. He walks over with the oversized cherry and sticks it on there. And he's like, Oh, well, that's why they did that. You know, just, eh, God, I laugh so hard at this movie every time. It, like it never, it never gets old to me. Even all the terrible acting. In it. There's some very terrible acting in this. Um, the uh, Frenzy Brothers, I think that's their last name. Those guys are just goofy, goofy as fuck. I never wanted them to live, but they did. <laughs> that was, yeah, I, the acting really sets it back uh for me but then again this was the 80s there were like eight good actors in the 80s and they were yeah. doing bigger shit than this yeah and none of them were in this movie <laughs> uh i love the name mike tobacco i mean <laughs> okay sure why not uh, <laughs> uh that's i think it's a good segue into the cast actually um grant kramer mike tobacco uh, he was also in New Year's Evil and Willy's Wonderland recently, which is cool. Didn't realize that, uh, that he was in that. Um, that was a neat movie. Uh, yes, I loved Willy's Wonderland. <laughs> Suzanne Snyder plays Debbie Stone, Mike's girlfriend. She was in The Last Starfighter, Weird Science, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, Night of the Creeps, and Return of the Living Dead 2. So she's got probably the most interesting resume here. Um, good for her. It's been a long time since I saw Weird Science, and then the rest of these I have not yet seen. Um, John Allen Nelson plays Dave Hansen, the cop. He ended up doing a lot of TV, including recurring roles on Baywatch and 24. Um, John Vernon plays aggressively angry cop Curtis Mooney. You may remember him as the dean from Animal House. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. That was him. <laughs> uh, he was also in Airplane 2. He outlawed Josie Wales and Dirty Harry. Uh, he died in 2005 at 72 years old following complications from heart surgery. And he is by far my favorite thing about this movie. Because he is just the most asshole cop slash human being that you could possibly have in a movie like this. Like every terrible stereotype about police is in this guy. <laughs> and it's not even really played for laughs. It's just who he is. But yeah, yeah, it's so well, funny. See, and that and that is part of this movie's charm, too, is that everybody that's in the movie is playing their part seriously. And that, to me, makes it even more funny than if they were trying to make this funny, if that makes sense. And even even the things about certain characters like Mooney's character, he is literally like the old guy on the forest he's not even the chief he doesn't run the show he's just the oldest fart in the building 
and he is so resentful having to take orders from the from the other guy who's half his age and he's just like fuck i ain't doing shit like he's sitting there when the whole town is getting fucked up by these clowns he's just sitting there getting drunk and fucking smoking a cigar like just totally fucking off it's like yeah fuck you i don't give a shit he thinks Um, the entire town is in on some joke against him yeah, yeah, he takes it so personal. Again, playing it so straight, he's like, everybody's just fucking with Mooney tonight. That's what it is, huh? Well, fuck you. And I, I, I always, always laughed so hard at his character, especially because, like, he is everybody that wanted to sit down and watch this movie and take it seriously and wouldn't have fun with it. He's the guy that's going, well, this is stupid. None of this makes sense. Why the hell would clowns come down out of outer space? That doesn't make any sense. Meanwhile, you've got like, I think it was Mike that even said it. You know, he's like, well, what if, what if everything, you know, what if they've always been here and everything we know about clowns is, is from them and they're actually, they've been aliens all along. And, you know, and it's like, holy shit, like, yeah okay i'll fucking buy that and he plays it so serious you're never i think because it is clunky at times and it doesn't move very smoothly and it's really about the set pieces and the gags that if this if this had a little bit more narrative cohesion i think this movie would be a lot more acceptable for a lot of people um and, and, and I'm sure that's probably one of the biggest gripes you have more than anything is, is, is the structure of it and kind of how it just feels like, because to me, it feels like at times it just feels like a collection of gags for a music video um, and how like you just have this idea and you're like, well, fuck, what kind of weird shit would alien clowns do to kill people? Oh, they got fucking popcorn guns and cotton candy guns and they stick people in fucking cocoons and drink them like, yeah, of course, why not? You know, how, well, how do you kill alien clowns? Shoot them in their big red noses. What do you mean? Like, you know, like the, that's obvious. I think the first time one of them gets shot, you're just like, yeah, sure. Why the fuck not? I mean, I don't know how the fuck you'd kill an alien clown. It's just as good a spot as any, I guess. Yeah, it's um, it's something I've had to, you know, really try to fight through, especially on this podcast is my need for narrative structure and it's just it's so fucking hard to overcome that and sometimes it's just not gonna not gonna fly and yeah i think this film so it's only like an hour 27 this could use another 10 15 minutes of just kind of narrative just a little bit for people like me to kind of get with the program but then again you know i acknowledge that it's a me problem you know the movie is what the movie is people love it i'm not going to stand in the way of that well, no, and, and if you did, they'd probably offer you up first if the killer clowns ever did come from outer space. Yeah, exactly. And I'd be the first to be like, well, this, that's my bad. <laughs> I'll take it. Drink me up. <clears throat> um, killer Clowns from Outer Space has an IMDb score of 6.2, surprisingly high Rotten Tomato score of 76%. Certified fresh, did not expect that. Um. Uh, didn't really do that well with the box office, but it's considered a cult classic these days, and a sequel has been in development hell for decades. Uh, Grant Kramer is signed on for the hypothetical Killer Clowns from Outer Space in 3D or whatever it was that I found on IMDb. So there was talk about that, and I think the Kyoto's in the interview on the movie Crypt bring that up, that they have been talking about 
what to do. And one of the other ideas they kicked around was kind of like a, a longer arching series. And I think that might be an interesting idea to explore. You can kind of stretch things out a little bit, maybe tease origins of where these fucking weirdos come from. Um, the I, I mean, the seeds were planted, you know, if they have actually been here all along, what what is their plan you know like okay i'm gonna go off on a really weird tangent so like um listening to the last podcast on the left you know like they cover all kinds of crazy subjects one of them being aliens and one of the uh hosts on the show henry zabrowski he's like the resident ufo guy um so much so that he had like signed up at one point to be a field investigator for mufon yeah yeah yeah. When they do live shows, he'd have a bit where he'd like do his little disclosure bit and he'd have his official MUFON polo on and his fucking lanyard and shit. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, so, but talking about aliens and kind of how they visited Earth, he was, he was positing this idea and I don't remember who he was pulling it from, but he was basically saying that like we started getting flooded with images of like, little gray men with big black eyes and to the point where it just became like the subconscious image that's in everybody's head everybody thinks alien you're like oh yeah that and so this kind of jumps off that idea where you know they just become so common and so much part of the background of life that you don't even notice them and then the next thing you know they're fucking everywhere and you're fucked and you had no idea so it's like that's a very sinister idea to wrap up in giant clown shoes and fucking grease paint. Um, but I think it's pretty genius. So <clears throat> that I think is an interesting concept and something that may be worth exploring. And I think with the way that um, film and TV has been done nowadays, with their experience now, they could probably get away with a lot more on the practical end of things and maybe even make it into a long form series, you know, like six to eight episodes. I could tolerate something like that. I don't think it needs to be like a five season saga. I think you could squeeze eight episodes, tease out everything that you've been thinking about narrate it all together. Cause part of what they had talked about was picking up with some of the characters who had kind of been treated as like these crackpots, they're drunks rambling on the street. Nobody believes them. And then everything fucking happens again. And they're the only ones that actually know what's going on, but nobody fucking believes them, which I think is pretty cool. So who knows? I mean, I would be down for it, obviously, because I fucking, I fucking own the movie. I've got T-shirts. I've got, you know, any and all memorabilia. I mean, I showed you my cotton candy gun I've got. I fucking love this. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely be down for that. I, I, you know what? I'd, I'd try it. I'd check it out. I think uh, I, there is possibly the risk of, you know, does too much information ruin the mystery, which is big in horror, especially like, do we need to know everything? Uh, I know that contradicts like everything I just fucking said, but <laughs> I don't, whatever. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, like having, having the, the story that we know have a little bit more meat on the bones. That's not necessarily explaining everything. That's just kind of trying to find an entire through line 
to get there. I mean, you have some kind of narrative where, you know, Mike and his girl who had dated the policeman at one point, you know, like there's that little conflict. There's the horny ice cream guys who are just trying to get laid using ice cream. What? It's the lamest trick in the book, dude. And then being cock blocks by going out to the makeout point and broadcasting, hey, who wants ice cream? Anybody want ice cream? No, loser, get the fuck out of here. I'm trying to put my own fucking hot fudge Sunday action in here. Let's come on, let's go. That was terrible. I, I was trying. I that was, was trying. That was fucking terrible. <laughs> I apologize if anybody was listening to this and they may have spit out their food or barfed. I apologize. <laughs> I will not be paying for your dry cleaning. Your my apology is all that you're getting. <laughs> yeah. Um there isn't there's there's semblance of a narrative, but it, it gets lost in the hijinks. And no one I I'm I'm in the rare camp that I'm here for a narrative. Everyone else is here to watch clowns slaughter a town, which is good, which is fine. <laughs> I like that too. I just want to know why. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, like, do do we necessarily need to know why they picked that fucking part of town? No, not really. Really need to, because we already know why they're there when they start murdering everybody and capturing them. And it's, and it's handled in a visual manner too. When they first get on the ship, there aren't that many cocoons. They go back again and the whole damn room's full. And you're like, Oh shit, they're fucking harvesting us. What the fuck? Why did they? All right. Let's get into the, the, the discussion of the film itself because we're already pretty much there. Why did they put Debbie in a bubble, but they put everybody else in a cocoon? Maybe they were going to play with her later. She was oh, a toy. God. I don't know. We don't know. Here's another thing. We don't necessarily know that they were like their whole point was to just bring people for and take them back as food. Yeah, maybe they that was like the start of some like, you know, metamorphosis into like clowns <laughs> or they were making you know, more like, clowns, making more clowns in one way or another. If you know what I'm saying, um, uh, because it is um, it is uh, off screen. And the only reason why I found this because I was looking around um, the uh, Forenzi brothers. Is it Forenzi or is it Terenzi? I'm trying to remember. You see, yeah, Terenzi. Uh, Sorry, it is Terenzi. Um, okay. There were literally two lady clowns that had uh, harassed them. So they finally got what they wanted. They just didn't get it in the way they thought they were. Um, so that could also be part of their uh, part of their uh, you know part of the show. Maybe in their species, the man gets pregnant. That would be a good follow-up. <laughs> great, great. So now we're talking about their reproductive process. I like this. I, I like that we are trying to unpack this in a very pragmatic way. Killer clowns, two, how do they fuck? The fact that these two ice cream idiots like, were confronted by like lady clowns with giant fake tits and were like, all right. Like I've... Jesus hey, Christ! Hey man, look, they were on a mission. They just didn't know that that mission was going to be 
to be on the menu instead of the ones trying to get somebody in the back of their van, which is a whole other thing. Riding around in a van trying to pick up chicks. Yeah. That idea wouldn't fly today, would it? Not if you're in a fucking ice cream truck. No. No, especially like, hey, you wanna you wanna grab my push pop? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no end to the fucking puns you could get rejected with. Oh no. Uh, oh no. I mean, I mean, come on. There there's absolutely a gag where a where somebody tries to reach into the clown's pants and starts pulling out fucking handkerchiefs all the way. And then at the end of it's a giant clown monster dick. I don't know. Like think about those little popcorn monsters that um, were in the, uh, in the laundry basket in the toilet. Like those little fucking things. Those are terrifying looking. Yeah. Those are pretty freaky. Uh, And Debbie didn't seem that freaked out by him she was just like oh like she was kind of like they're in the way almost like yeah. she didn't even scream she was just like oh okay <laughs> just tried to like cover I him mean, with shower look, curtains i i would have screamed and shit myself and just done anything like yeah i probably would have gotten taken out by those little goofy bastards unfortunately <clears throat> i loved the shadow puppet eating the family I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was slim. That was actually that and uh, Shorty knocking the guy's block off. Those are my two, like two of my favorite moments. And actually, I think Shorty knocking that dude's head off was the point in Killer Clowns where I was like, these clowns aren't funny. These clowns are scary. Clowns are scary. Granted, I was like 10 when I saw this, maybe yeah. a little bit younger, but yeah. No, this is good. also, this is definitely one of those films that um, is fueled, I think, by nostalgia. Because I watched this for the first time last year and was like, what the fuck is this? So if I'd seen this when I was like 10, I might definitely have a lot more positive things to say. So I get that. There's some movies that just have that. Um. One of my favorite lines I've ever heard was from Mooney when he muttered to himself, I made it through Korea. I can make it through this bullshit. (laughs) To no one in particular, just like, fuck this night. I'm going to see this through. (laughs) I mean, yeah, because he just he's waiting for the next day when the chief is coming back. It's like, you're not going to last the night. And his and his death is like his death is another one of my favorite moments in that when Jumbo turns him into a puppet. Yeah. And it's really cool because at that point you kind of understand why they're there, but it's like explicitly stated through Mooney what they're there for. It's like, yeah, Dave, relax. We're just here to kill you. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) No. Oh, that was that was really neat. I, I remember I, I referenced that in my review as like a moment of pure horror when the fucking clown hand goes up Mooney's back and he's a puppet now. I, I love that. Definitely reminded me of Dead Silence, which I'm sure James Wan maybe of you know a little bit of influence there. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, because think about it, you got this big creepy looking clown just sitting there, and then he like 
fucking <laughs> sick wet slap on the floor. There's blood and he's got a big bloody fucking glove. And whap. But then before that, a few minutes before that, it was a total joke. Mooney arresting him and he fucking walks away and his hands pop off and he's just like, quit screwing around. <laughs> just like all these little things. You're just like, God damn it. Like you don't know whether to laugh or scream when you're around these things. You just, you, you, you just, you have no idea. It's, it's always uncomfortable. Even with a stupid looking clown, like shorty that comes up there riding a goofy ass bike coming up to these bikers. And the guy's like, can I ride your bike? And he's like, no, you're riding my bike. Look how big you are. You're not riding my bike. Get out of here. And he breaks it. And he's like, well, now I got to go get my boxing gloves because we're putting up our dukes. You can see him sitting there just. And it's and, and it's largely like pantomime stuff. You know, I think I, I think that's another it's another aspect of it that I enjoy. That it's like these clowns are largely for the most part. They, they, they don't speak a normal language. So it's like, it's, it's a lot of big pantomime gestures and fucking knocks that guy's head off. I love when all the bikers just scramble and get on their bike. Like, holy Hell shit. Yeah. <laughs> you would, would you hang around after that? Fuck no. I would be gone. I would have been gone a long time ago when this weird ass clown shows up and materializes boxing gloves out of fucking nowhere. And is like, I'd be like, I don't know if this, something's going to happen. <laughs> we got to get out of here. This isn't this is right. going to end well. <laughs> this is not good. This is not good at all. I thought I it think... was interesting. Oh, no, ahead. go ahead. Go, go, go. All right. Um, I thought it was interesting how at the end of this thing, like half the fucking town just died. Like everyone's dead. Like, how are they going to explain this? Everyone's gone. Like there's no evidence. They just disappeared. Again, that's another that's another great jumping off point for like, how do you continue this story? It's like, what the fuck? To go back and bring up aliens again, like a lot of these weird things where you don't have any evidence, but a lot of people are like, I saw it. I was there. This thing happened. Like, what does that do to somebody when nobody else believes you? But, you know, you saw this shit happen right in front of your face, but nobody believes you. Nobody. And the only other person that believes you looks as crazy as you do. And you're both talking some weird shit. And you're just like, fuck, how, how do you deal with that? And that's a very real idea to kind of like, how do you process that, that traumatic of an event? Forget how goofy it is. Just something that traumatic where a bunch of people get murdered around you. How do you process that? And nobody believes you that something this outlandish happened. Um, Part of, part of another reason why I really like this movie is that it kind of, it also has a weird like Ed Wood kind of vibe to it where this movie has probably shouldn't even exist. Like there's no reason this movie should still be relevant and still, you know, people should still be discovering it or, or any, or anything like that. The fact that it's stuck around this long, I think says something for the the enjoyment of movies and how movies are a distinct entertainment medium a distinct art form from like a book or a play things like that it's it's a very unique experience and it's something that when you do get 
a bunch of people together and they're all enjoying something and they can all like, they can all just be in the moment and watch what's on there and they can have fun with it. It, it has some kind of lasting quality because for good and bad reasons, Ed Wood is still talked about to this day. I absolutely do not think he is the worst director of all time by, by, by no means. Um, if you really start to like peel back who he was and find out that he was a lot more involved in Hollywood than a lot of people even know, because a lot of things he, he did, he never got credit for. He was, he was such a prolific and very, um, it's a good way to put it. He was just a very fast typist. He got a lot of work doing rewrites because he could type and write so fast. And a lot of things that he did, just he never got credit for. So there could be drafts at the end. And a lot of times if people watch a movie and they're like, this thing's kind of weird. Like this kind of has like a Ed Wood kind of vibe to it. It's probably because he does. He wrote novels. He wrote stuff under pseudonyms. Um, uh, I, I haven't found any yet, but, uh, but I heard that he, um, he wrote under a pseudonym that was vodka gimlet spelled backwards. <laughs> that was his favorite drink. <laughs> And he wrote, he wrote a book under that pseudonym. So it's like, you, you have to have a certain level of respect for somebody who, despite any and all criticism from people who were respectable in the business, whatever margin or whatever you're measuring that by, that's some agreed upon standard that really means nothing as far as I'm concerned. The guy was doing work. When other people were talking about it, he was going to do it. He was an independent filmmaker when you never did those kinds of things. You never went against Hollywood to make films. You never did that. If somebody was not popular in pictures, they never made pictures again. You know, the fact that he was working with Bella Lugosi and giving him and working with him, collaborating with him, said more about what Ed Wood was as a person and what he wanted to do than any kind of clout or notoriety or any respect he would have gotten from mainstream Hollywood. And I think the fact that a movie like Killer Clowns can have that kind of aesthetic and that attitude where you have guys who were very much working in almost all facets of production, kind of like Ed Wood did, you, you have to admire somebody taking the initiative to go that far, no matter what, for good and bad, whatever the end product is, they actually went and did the work. Not too many people can say that. I've always had the utmost respect for anybody who chases their dreams, who sees things through to the end, who believes in the work, regardless of the quality of that work. Belief is paramount. Ed Wood believed in his work. Uh, these guys believed in their work. And I, yeah, I can never uh, deny them that. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, this isn't even the worst you know, this isn't the worst movie I've ever seen. I've seen way worse shit come out of Hollywood. Like this, at least I can tell that somebody cared about this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I don't know. I don't, I, I don't want to make this like a big preachy kind of thing, but like that, to me, that kind of stuff matters more than if yeah. you're trying to, you're, you're trying to make art simply to make a profit. That doesn't make any sense to me, you know? I always, I always had this, I had this approach that 
movies were about telling stories. The same reason why somebody writes a book, you know, you have a story to tell. And I'm sure you yourself, being that you published three books on your own, like you have a lot more in common with somebody like Ed Wood than you would like Christopher Nolan or fucking, you know, some other fat Hollywood jackass who is pretentious and thinks their work is, you know, the fucking greatest thing ever. I mean, you have to have that level of confidence, sure. But if you're not willing to go so hard and so far to do it on your own, then I don't know that you're necessarily have the purest intention, so to speak. But who am I to say that? That's I I agree with you, man. I mean, I, you know, I did write three books. I published them myself. Did I like, do I think they're good? Yeah, I do. I'm proud of them. Do I think I wrote the greatest American novel? No, absolutely not. Like, am I, do I think I'm a better writer than like anybody I've read? No, I don't. But I did my thing. And, you know, those are mine, regardless of, you know, what other people may think of them. I did that. And I can stand behind that. And these guys can stand behind that. And that's a great feeling is having something that you did. And it's even better when people tell you, like, I enjoyed that. I mean, that's an incredible feeling. I've, I've had a couple people tell me that and it was, it was the fucking best. Didn't go to my head. I'm, you know, you got to really make sure that doesn't happen. And uh, I don't see a lot of ego in Ed Wood or these guys. I just see, you know, uh, like pride. Yeah. And just trying to, just trying to do the work. I mean, that was what he wanted to do. And he was not going to let somebody tell him no. And I think, cause I was listening to a podcast with a, uh, with a drag queen. Um, her name is peaches Christ and she's been around for a long time. Great name. I know. That's a great um, name. <laughs> well, I wish I would have thought of it first. Um, but she was talking about Ed Wood um, specifically in like plan nine from outer space, you know, the worst movie ever, which ironically enough, you, you give a movie that title, a lot of people are going to be like, well, I got to see this, you know, it's the yeah. worst movie ever. Like, you know, so by even by doing that, you're giving him recognition. The one thing you don't want to do because it's the worst movie, like you're doing that. And I think when movies like this, like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which just you just say the title, you're like, this is a joke, right? Nobody really made this movie. No, it's a really fun. It's a real fucking movie. And it's, it's actually really fun. And Again, whatever the product is, like once you make something, it's out there. People can enjoy it or they can't. It's not, it's, it's not up to you at that point. And I just, I really love that this movie exists and I've had it with me. I've had it with me my whole life. Sorry, I was holding back a burp. I thought I was going to burp really loud. I, thought, I don't want to. I thought you were holding back tears. I was like, no, no, was, no, 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 no. Fucking I'm, burp. Okay. I'm not going to get that emotional. I just don't want to ruin the quality of our uh, of our audio. Have to edit out a burp or something. I mean, you could have probably just put in like a clown honk or something. Just, you know, <laughs> you know, just just to keep in theme with the episode. I'll keep that in mind. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here are some filmgasm facts from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Number one, the $2 million budget went primarily on production costs. The clowns and visual effects were created almost entirely by the filmmakers at very little cost, which is pretty cool. 
if you know how to pull clowns out of your ass, you can make a movie on almost nothing. <laughs> uh, number two, John Masari's music for the entrance of Clownzilla was originally composed a year earlier for the Friday the 13th Part 6 Jason Lives trailer. Uh, Masari's music for that trailer was rejected in favor of a more cliche musical approach. So they were able to use it for Killer Clowns, which is cool. I mean, I think it's funny that they hired somebody to make an original piece and then we're like, nah, fuck it. We're going to go with the traditional shit we've heard seven times. <laughs> well, thankfully, we got lucky and we got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then number three, as John Masari returned the music master tapes to the studio, people in the accounting and legal department completely dismissed Killer Clowns as being, quote, a complete failure that will die a quick death. Masari responded, well, you don't get it. There are people that will love this movie and how right he was. Oh, yeah. There have been uh, repertory screenings. I think they did it for the 30th anniversary of the movie. Uh, they showed it at the Hollywood Bowl with a symphony orchestra doing the score. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That would have been something to see. Let me tell you. Um, also, I don't know if you actually know this or not. And I think I pointed it out in my review. Two of the clown masks from Killer Clowns were repurposed and used for trolls in Ernest Scared Stupid because the Kyoto brothers did all the troll makeup for that. That's cool. Love it. You yeah. know, this shit lives on. Absolutely. It was kind of like it was kind of like them being able to um, give a little nod and a, and a wink to any eagle eyed fans who had seen that. And I, I didn't know that the first time I watched, I'm probably the first handful of times I watched Ernest Scared Stupid. And then only like, probably like maybe five, 10 years ago, I figured it out. Or I, I didn't necessarily figure it out. Somebody else pointed it out and I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. Oh, it is. That's great. That's great. I mean, the fact that the Kyoto brothers got to make, you know, more monsters for another movie is is wonderful it's like it's a testament to their to their great to their great work and they've they've been working for years they're still working um uh one thing i did want to mention is um the band the dickies the song that plays uh killer clowns from outer space they uh essentially had to kind of like make a demo um for this to kind of get hired to do their song and they saw no footage from the movie they only got the title wrote the song based off of that title and um there is a uh the, the actual classic song that they're doing on the riff for it um was part of where they started writing the music for it they just took that idea of that classic little do 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 that whole bit that that whole bit and made a song out of it. Um, they had gotten the demo and like they they figured it out. They're like, no, this is it. This is solid. One of the uh, I think it was a guitar player. He walked into the the office where the Kyotos were, and he had like a stupid hat on and a little guitar like up around his neck. And he started playing a little bit of it. And he was like, this is it. This is the song you guys want. We're going to get this. And the Kyotos loved it. So much so that they got the lead singer. Uh, his name is Leonard Graves Phillips. 
and they got him to compose a couple of uh, pieces of music for the incidental scenes called incidentals. Uh, and so, which is pretty cool. The Dickies are like an old punk band that started back in like the late seventies, all time around when punk was breaking in England and a few bands like the Ramones in New York, Dickies were based in California. So it's like, there's all these were kind of like springing up. So Dickies have been around for over 40 years now. They still play this song. Um, <clears throat> and I think the fact that it, um, it has still persisted. They also wrote a song about the toxic Avenger. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Like those songs are super catchy. The Dickies music is really super catchy and it's really, I mean, I, like I told you, anytime I watch this movie, I can't get that song out of my head for weeks. It's always there, always there. Um, but yeah, um, they were at one point going to let um, Leonard Phillips do the score, but they didn't really like a lot of the music he was doing. Um, they wanted... Um, then they ended up using John Masari because his music was a little more serious and it was offsetting a lot of the goofy stuff that was happening on screen. So it worked a lot better for what they were trying to, you know, everybody in the movie is acting serious, even though you're seeing a lot of very silly things. I mean, the movie ends on a giant pie gag. So, you know, like you kind of have to pick and choose how you're going to, how you're going to make this movie go down and i mean yeah so there you go little little music history for you that's awesome i love that uh i do like the the kind of juxtaposition of serious acting and goofy shit reminded me a lot of airplane of just you know everyone's doing a different movie while the real movies you know being put together in post and i i like when that happens it it's a good um it's a good tone uh, well, I ultimately am going to give Killer Clowns a six. Uh, I understand why some people love this movie. Just it doesn't do it for me. It's missing some stuff. Uh, there are moments, but overall, I find it kind of, uh, well, mostly forgettable. I won't lie. Sorry. It's okay. I'm not going to let you forget about it. <laughs> yeah, I figured. <laughs> Aren't you glad you have friends like me? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, what's your score? Uh, so originally when I wrote my review, it was an eight. Um, again, the more I think about this movie, um, the more just what the Kyoto's did and a lot of the, the, the set pieces that, that they created, the gags that they pull off, all of that stuff just still, it, it sticks. It sticks out so much. And it's the most memorable stuff that like, I, I just can't help but love this movie. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to have to go up. It's definitely a nine at this point. And I'm sure in another couple of years, when I look at it again, it'll probably get higher and go up on my tens, but yeah, i I really love this movie. This is one of those movies where I'll kind of like, I'll, I'll give a list to people to kind of get an idea for my personality. And this is absolutely one of those movies that I do that because it's, because it's not something you would expect, but then you would totally expect it if you know me. You're like, well, of course you're going to like a movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It makes total sense. Why would you not? Why would you not like that? 
So, I mean, and yeah, there, there's a personal connection. It's one of those movies I watched with my mom when I was growing up and she was a real big influence on me watching and loving horror movies. And yeah, I mean, I got to watch this movie with my daughter and I probably will watch it with her more often um, the older she gets. And yeah, that, that means a lot that I can have those kinds of moments with my kids, with movies that I really love. And I can share that experience with them and watch them have their first reactions. Just like when I watched it the other day with Caleb and it was his first time. So I got to see him enjoy all of these things for the first time. And it's really, it's, it's really interesting to see if somebody is going to have the same level of acceptance of the humor that you are. And he was, he was, he was, he was on board from the beginning. It's exactly how I felt when I showed him Fright Night. I was just kind of, I was more watching him than I was watching yeah. Fright Night. Yeah. <laughs> I kept doing this. I was watching. I was like, did you get that? Did you get that? Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that, like, this is one of your, like, list movies. Because as soon as I drew this from the book, my first thought was, Josh is probably going to want this one. <laughs> you know, okay, okay. I am going to get emotional. You, you know me so well, Connor. I, I'm, just, I'm glad that you appreciate and you think about me. <laughs> I, I have no, I, I have no fucking clue what to say. <laughs> just continue. Oh, I will say, I yeah. will say thank you, by the way. Um, I didn't do this. So I will do this now. Thank you for the shirt. That fucking, that new Bev shirt. is fucking awesome. Thank you very much. I love it. Absolutely I'm wearing man. it right now, but I have a hoodie on because it's a little chilly in my in my apartment. But it fits wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That was a uh, that was so much fun. Yeah, I was in. Uh, if you listen to our um, Oscar Sunday podcast, you'll know that um, Austin and I were recently in uh, Los Angeles. Got to see a Christmas movie double feature at the New Beverly Cinema, Quentin Tarantino's movie theater, and uh, I picked up some shirts for the boys, which was really cool. They had one shirt that just said written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And I'm like, you can get that shit anywhere. <laughs> but there was a killer snowman shirt and a werewolf shirt. And I'm like, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that was fucking fantastic. I, I think about that place every day now. Like that was one of the most incredible theater experiences of my life. Oh, beautiful. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like our show, feel free to follow us on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films, give us some fan mail, some hate mail, whatever you want to say, uh, say to us. You can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send a message to the socials, comment on YouTube. You can check out the website, filmgasm.com. We got daily reviews and articles and trailers and every episode of all of our shows. Uh, if you want to support the show through Anchor, you can click on support this podcast on your podcast provider. We appreciate any and all donations, but it is not necessary. We just hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, the fifth Scream movie releases in theaters. Um, so we thought it was finally time to go back to the Scream well and tackle the third film, 2000's Scream 3. On the set of the new Stab movie, Sidney Prescott and her friends are once again terrorized by the elusive ghost face killer who is once again connected to Sidney's family. It's the one that most fans seem to think is the weakest of the franchise. Let's see if that holds up just in time for a fifth movie. Uh, Caleb finally gets to do a Scream movie. He's been... <laughs> He missed the first two. He, he gets three. <laughs> Good for wow. him. I'm, I'm, I'm real happy for him. I'm sure he'll <laughs> knock it out of the park. No, I'm just kidding. 
don't miss the premiere of our new bad movie podcast, Beyond the Bad, on Friday with Batman and Robin as our premiere episode. So excited for you guys to get to hear that. I'm excited to add that to, ro- to the rotation. Uh, we got the 1994 classic, The Shawshank Redemption, on Oscar Sunday. And then whatever we got cooking up on Monday's sneak preview. Until then, avoid any alien clowns with cotton candy guns and keep watching movies. Thank <laughs> you.